Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you because Reed is definitely his own man with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Okay, here we are. Now, a week or two into 2024. Lots of you have written said we'd like to hear more of your projections for 2024 with some more specificity. And you know what? I will grant you that wish in this show. In addition, we're going to revisit the Bill of Rights. Right over the last four weeks, I have brought you, we have revisited the Declaration of Independence, last week the Constitution, and this week the Bill of Rights. Because, folks, if you are going to go to battle, if you are going to fight for your rights and your freedoms and this country and America and Americans, then you need to know what you're fighting for and you need to know what you have to lose if you decide not to get off the couch, if you decide not to get involved in these upcoming elections, if you decide not to ring the chimes of the inboxes and phones of your representatives and whatever else you can do, including supporting organizations that support you, like Judicial Watch and the Second Amendment Foundation. And I can go on and on. I'm going to post a list of those in the next several weeks so that you know where to send your money, where it's going to do the most good. And of course, we'll have our founder's quote and our rant story, which I think you'll find interesting today. And then we're going to have the next little installment of personal financial preparedness, some great videos on the website on the rightsideradio.com, which will kind of augment, support, bolster what I'm going to share with you today. And then we're going to have some rat-a-tat-tat, you betcha. So here we go. First of all, our founders' quotes. This is going to be two from George Washington. The first is, and think about what's happening, (laughs) what's happening with our debt, etc. Quote, the last official act of any government is to loot the treasury, unquote. And the second is, government is not reason. It is not eloquent. It is force. Like fire, it is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. And when the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led, like sheep to the slaughter, unquote. Now let me tell you about our little old rant story. So I'm signing books down at the Denver Stock Show. Great bunch of folks, even though Denver has, uh, shall we say, transformed over the last 10 years. Not like it used to be. And there's this one family who bought, I think, three sets of books a year or two ago whose father was a homesteader and pioneer. And their great-grandfather came across and staked his claim somewhere in the 1880s, 1890s. And they told me that they had a kind of compendium, kind of a family description, a little family book that they put together. And I told them, and this is probably a year ago, I said, I'd really be interested in seeing that. And they said, we will get you a copy. And you know, that gal came in this past week with a bound copy. And it's an inch and a half thick. I mean, there's a lot of information. It's really a treasure. It's a treasure to me because I think I'm able to use some of it in the upcoming novels of the Threads West series. And it's certainly a treasure to this family because, uh, I mean, it's just spectacular. But really, what impressed me was their follow-through. I mean, they didn't have to go to the trouble of putting that together. They didn't have to go to the trouble of 
binding me up, a spiral binder, a special copy. They had to bring that to a copy shop. I'm sure they don't have the machines at their house. And they didn't have to go the trouble of coming into the Denver Stock Show, walking way down to where we are, and then handing me that, handing me that family treasure. So, you know, the moral of this story is it's those things that you commit to in life, even though they seem little, that you follow through on that make a great deal of difference. And number one, how people perceive you. And number two, in people's overall faith in their fellow humans and their fellow Americans. And now let's get into the Bill of Rights, folks. This is the cornerstone, right? The Declaration of Independence was when you beat your chest and said we're free. The Constitution is kind of the code of that freedom. But the Bill of Rights is the shield. It's the armor of the basic rights which enable those other two documents, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, to achieve their function, their aim, and their purpose. And the Bill of Rights, of course, is under attack. Every single one of them. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, right to due process, the right to keep and bear arms. Oh, we have some great quotes on that from George Washington and the other founders. We'll get into those on another show. And all these documents... And the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, which is the Bill of Rights, are under attack because, think about the quotes from the founder today, from George Washington, because government is a fearful fire. It is a master to be feared. And to go one step further, government is not to be feared when it fears the people. And right now, this government is petrified of the people. If they were not and we're going to get into this in the in the rat-a-tat-tat and the projection part of this show. If they were not, folks, they wouldn't incessantly lie to you about everything. That's right, everything. Your health, your finances, your security, your freedoms, and this country's international relations with the other countries on the globe. Nothing is true. It's a matrix, and it's intentional to lead you in a certain way. You know, like George Washington said, to lead the sheep to the slaughter. And now, the Bill of Rights. You know, in the wholly contested, I mean very rancorous, almost to the point of fisticuffs, Convention of States in 1787, there was a number of folks, believe it or not, who liked the system of government of the British monarchy we had just broken away from who thought, on the other hand, that if we didn't have a monarchy, we should have a president for life, kind of an aristocratic, authoritative ruler, benevolent dictator of sorts. But there were a number of folks, including most of the smaller states in the Union, who were not happy with what they viewed as the insufficient protections of individual liberties and states' rights that were enunciated in the Constitution. These eventually devolved into two factions, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. But some of the founders who were actually enamored with the thought of an aristocracy, with the thought of a monarchy, would surprise you. Alexander Hamilton, in fact, believe it or not, Alexander Hamilton, on June 18, 1787, called the British government, quote, the best in the world, unquote. And he proposed a model that was very similar to the British form of government. There were others like him. There were rumors that were swirling around the country that there was a plot to invite the second son of George III, Frederick, Duke of York, who was the secular bishop in Prussia, to be the king of the United States. Now, whether or not this was early psyops by the anti-federalists or not, we'll never know. But nonetheless, the newspapers around the country 
almost without exception, took up the sword of anti-federalism and were blasting out incredible and scathing editorials and articles. And the anti-federalists comprised mostly of the smaller states who were concerned with their what they perceived to be their lack of representation in the House of Representatives, which was determined by population, which favored the larger states, were absolutely adamant and insistent, as were the anti-federalists, the folks who really didn't want a federal government at all, or, if we had to have one, the weakest possible federal government one could imagine. And understand that there was a really popular feeling throughout the country who had experienced the Revolutionary War, that any serious attempt to establish a monarchy, again, which they had just thrown out with much blood and treasure, or some type of benevolent dictatorship-type government, was absolutely not going to happen. And it was in this period that many of the states actually contemplated breaking away from the Union of States, the Confederation of States, under the Articles of Confederation, and going their own way. This was heightened by the fact that on June 29th, the delegates from the small states lost their first critical battle. The convention approved a resolution establishing the population as the basis for representation in the House of Representatives, which really favored the larger states. The subsequent proposal from the small states was that the states have at least equal representation in the Senate, and that vote resulted in a tie. It did not originally pass. And there are writings from the convention, including one from one representative, that said the convention, quote, was on the verge of dissolution, scarce held together by the strength of a hair, unquote. By the way, by July 10th, George Washington, who originally was not even going to participate in the convention, he didn't think it would work, he didn't want his name attached to something that was going to fail, but eventually decided to participate because he realized that his lack of participation would undermine any of what he thought was the remote chance the convention might come up with something and send the wrong message to the country. On July 10th, he was so frustrated over this really incredible and foundational bedlock that he expressed that he was sorry, quote, having any agency in the proceedings, unquote. And he called the opponents, this is really interesting, kind of like Hamilton, of a strong central government, narrow-minded politicians under the influence of local views, unquote. On the other hand, there were delegates who were just as adamant that the federal government should have its wings clipped, that it should have little or no power, that the individuals, the countrymen of America, the, the citizens of America, and the states, be they big or small, should have almost complete autonomy. One of those folks was by the name of Luther Martin of Maryland. He, by the way, was one of the most effective debaters at the convention. And his he was, he was not a pleasant guy to debate. If you had an argument with Luther, he'd bury you. I mean, he would not stop hammering you until you were dust and pulverized. But despite his, shall we say, unfriendly approach to debate, he swayed many people, many people in the population and many of the newspapers around the country who carried a lot of weight at that time. It was one of the only forms of kind of mass communication. There was a pamphlet written by a guy by the name of George Mason who opposed the new government, or should we say the centralized shaping of the new government that the Federalists were at that time in the convention prevailing on. And he was one of the three delegates in the end on the very final day of the convention, who refused to sign the Constitution because it lacked a Bill of Rights. In other words, the more the Federalists 
had their way in the convention, the more the groundswell grew to protect the people and the states from what the Federalists were accomplishing in the drafting of the Constitution. Things got so unsettled, so, so there was so much animosity that when the Federalists dominated, in other words, strong central government dominated Pennsylvania Assembly, right? This is where Independence Hall is located. When they lacked a quorum on September 29th to call a state ratifying convention, there was a mob that formed in Philadelphia. And in order to provide the necessary numbers for a quorum so that Pennsylvania could ratify the Constitution and then what had been agreed to be added, the Bill of Rights, they dragged two anti-Federalist members, literally from their beds, from their homes, and they dragged them through the streets to the State House, where those poor representatives were forced to stay, even though they didn't vote and they refused to vote. They constituted a quorum, and the Assembly voted. Why don't we call it a curious example of participatory democracy. On October 5th, there's a guy by the name of Samuel Bryan. He's an anti-federalist, and he published the first of his Sentinel essays in Philadelphia's Independent Gazetteer. This is a big paper back then. And it was this essay, these series of essays, the Sentinel essays, were republished in newspapers in various states, particularly the smaller states. And they attacked what they felt was the sweeping power of the central government that was being ensconced in the Constitution and the undermining of state sovereignty and the absence of a Bill of Rights which guaranteed the individual liberties. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion were the two biggies back then. And he threatened that the anti-federalist forces, if they didn't get their way, would, quote, melt down the United States, unquote. So understand at this point in time within the population of the United States, particularly in the smaller states, and particularly in certain states like Massachusetts, there was an overwhelming prejudice against aristocrats, the elite, any central governing authority, any type of central power figure. I mean, the folks had just fought a revolution. They had just thrown out a monarch. They certainly didn't want to replace whatever the shortcomings of the Confederation under the Articles of Confederation with what they had just fought against and kicked from our shores. And they were insistent that there needed at the least to be a Bill of Rights guaranteeing individual liberties, particularly those of freedom of speech and freedom of religion, the two that most people were melted, uh, were focused on at that time. By the way, there were riots in various states, and there were, you know, fisticuffs and actual physical disputes and the breakup of various gatherings by the Federalist or the Anti-Federalist forces. I mean, it was a time of really great tumult and violence. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal, and obviously I've done a pile of research on this little series of personal financial preparedness I'm bringing you. And in doing so, I looked at a bunch of precious metal dealers. There's a bunch of them out there. Some are very good, but I think one of the very best, BBB, A-plus rated, five-star rated, is Harvard Gold Group. They have a terrific private direct delivery program, your house, your business, your investment accounts. They can help you set up your investment accounts to hold these metals. I negotiated, by the way, a $250 discount on your first order through them, which I think is kind of cool. And they have a lowest price guarantee, whether it's gold or silver, and they will be happy to talk to you about that and how it works. So call them, 844-977-GOLD, or go to their website, harvardgoldgroup.com, and use the code REID, read, that's me, to get your $250 discount and some other goodies. 
Are you a fan of the 1883 miniseries? Then you will love its partial inspiration, Threads West, an American saga. The number one national Amazon and Barnes & Noble best-selling multi-generational epic saga of the American story in the West. Recipient of a whopping 37 national awards, including Best Historical Fiction, Best Multicultural Fiction, Best Fiction Series, Best Romance, and Best Western. You will recognize the characters that live in these pages. They are you. They are us. This is not only their story, it is our story. Threads West is written by Wyoming rancher Reed Lance Rosenthal. Lois Henderson, Chief AD Library Information Services, proclaims fluent and strong, sensual, evocative, and unforgettable. Compared to McMurtry's Pulitzer Prize-winning Lonesome Dove and Michener's Centennial, Rosenthal's epic masterpiece will rival even some of Louis L'Amour's best-loved work, called The Gone with the Wind of the West and Sackets on Steroids. Get it now. Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Kindle, Nook, Audible, or the publisher, ThreadsWestSeries.com. Like Samuel Bryan's essays, the Sentinel essays, which stirred up anti-federalist sentiment across the country, and particularly in Pennsylvania, in New York, the Constitution was kind of under siege again in the press by a series of essays that was signed simply Cato, C-A-T-O. And it was those essays, the anti-federalist essays, which lit a fire under Alexander Hamilton and John Jay and Madison, who began publishing the series of essays I told you about last week, known as the Federalist Papers, or at this now known as the Federalist Papers. There were 85 of those essays. They were penned in the end by Hamilton himself, who had now completely reversed his position that the British government was the best in the world and we should emulate it. Instead, these papers kind of probed the weaknesses of the Articles of Confederation, and there were weaknesses and the need for an energetic, as he called it, national government. It's kind of interesting. Thomas Jefferson himself later called the Federalist Papers, quote, the best commentary on the principles of government ever written, unquote. The Federalist folks were pretty well organized, and they had good leadership. They had a lot of determination. The Anti-Federalists, on the other hand, although it was really the majority of people in the country, were not organized, and they didn't have a single leader. It, it was a disjointed type of effort against the efforts of the Federalists to have a stronger central government. For instance, the Anti-Federalists in the southern states were concerned about navigation legislation because of the Mississippi, and they were concerned about slavery and the import of slaves, which we talked about last week, and direct taxation and the loss of state sovereignty, which was really a concern of all the smaller states, no matter where were located in the country. And they, along with the press, Jesus, does this sound familiar? They resorted to kind of, should we say, fanciful predictions on the horrors that might emerge under a new constitution. And, you know, their concerns back then, <laughs> see how they mirror the concerns now, folks. And we know that the concerns now are valid. But they warned that under the new constitutions, pagans and deists would control the government, that there would be an attack on religion that the use of inquisition-like torture could be instituted as punishment for federal crimes. Gee, was that unequal application of the law that we see going on everywhere right now? And that even the Pope could be elected president. Well, you know, not the Pope, but certainly a cadaver who's unthinking. I'll tell you a little bit about his latest escapades in the rat-a-tat-tat. And the Anti-Federalists argued that the government was going to be under the Constitution and without the Bill of Rights, or it wasn't called the Bill of Rights at that time, but without protections for individuals and individual states, was going to be, quote, impersonal, unrepresentative, dominated by men of wealth, and oppressive of the poor and working classes, unquote. You see any similarities to what's going on today, folks? The argument of the Federalists 
was that the spread out nature of the country, its different geographic regions, and their, shall we say, local wishes, desires, and wants, was all the more reason to have a stronger federal government to kind of bind this huge fabric together into a cloth. In the end, the Federalists prevailed on a number of important issues, but the Anti-Federalists began to hone their argument in on a Bill of Rights. Not called that at that time, but called Protections of Individual Liberty and State Sovereignty. And to get Massachusetts, one of the last small state holdouts, to ratify the Constitution, the Federalists agreed to come up with amendments, or as they called them, Articles, which eventually became what we know as the Bill of Rights. And they abandoned their argument against a Bill of Rights as we know it today. Their argument had been that, well, the states have constitutions, and those state constitutions guarantee your rights. That was not good enough for the Anti-Federalists. By the way, very fortunately, not good enough. Because the Anti-Federalists, for all their tactics, for all their overstatement of the ills and problems, they were right on a number of scores, and we're kind of seeing that play out today. And in the end, it was the backing of Jefferson and of Madison that got the Bill of Rights, or, or at that time, the Articles, over the hump of Federalist opposition in the convention. Thomas Jefferson, who was a Federalist, wrote to Madison that a Bill of Rights was, quote, what the people are entitled to against every government on earth, unquote. And Madison wrote back that he was convinced that a Bill of Rights was necessary if they were to get the Constitution accepted at all, but also that the, quote, fundamental maxims of free government would be a good ground for appeal to the sense of community against potential oppression and would counteract the impulses of interest and passion. And it was Madison's support of the Bill of Rights that in the end became critical. It was the key. He was one of the new representatives from Virginia to the first federal Congress, which had been established by the Constitution. And understand that all of this is happening within a very condensed time frame. I mean, you have the ratification of the Constitution by nine states. <laughs> the other five states, the smaller states, were refusing to sign without certain concessions, particularly the Bill of Rights. And the Constitutional Convention, the Convention of States, which had ratified now, drafted and ratified the Constitution, knew that to keep the Constitution intact, to have total ratification of it. They had to move quickly to appease those factions, both popular in the population and in the holdout states, so that the whole thing didn't disintegrate. And it was Madison who worked tirelessly, I mean, night and day, to persuade the House of Representatives to enact amendments to the Constitution, the Articles, as they were called then. And eventually he drafted and he was able to shepherd through the House 17 original amendments in the early months of the Congress. Those 17 amendments were later trimmed to 12 in the Senate. Once again, they were called Articles. On October 2nd, 1789, President Washington, that's right, George Washington was then president, sent to each of the states, the 13 states, a copy of those 12 amendments that had been adopted by the Congress in September. By December 15th, 1791, three quarters of the states had ratified the 10 Articles, which we now call amendments in the Bill of Rights, and I'll give you a, a great quote by James Madison. When all the dust had settled, all this was done, all 13 states had ratified the Constitution because there was now a Bill of Rights. The 17 articles had been boiled down to 12 and then to 10, which we know as the Bill of Rights. He wrote, quote, No government can be perfect, and that which is the least imperfect is therefore the best government, unquote. And I think it might be really, really, really instructive for us to examine what at that time was called the Articles, and now we know as the Ten Amendments and the Bill of Rights. 
So let me go through them for you in Old English language as they were written. Article the first. This set representation at one representative for 30,000 people. This was not passed by the states. It was not ratified by three-quarters of the state. Article the second. No law varying the compensation for the services of the senators and representatives shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. That was the second one not ratified by the states of the 12 that George Washington sent to them. Later on, interestingly enough, that would become the 27th Amendment to the Constitution. Article the third, which we now know as the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of people to peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Article the fourth, now known as the second, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Article the fifth, now known as the third amendment, no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but only in a manner to be prescribed by law. Article the sixth, now known as the fourth amendment, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath and affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized article the seventh now the fifth amendment no person shall be held to answer for a capital or other infamous crime remember plead the fifth unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself nor deprived of life liberty or property without due process of law nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation by the way folks this now fifth amendment as we know it that life liberty and property without just compensation that's going to be a bigger and bigger deal in the coming future and we're going to have we're going to have many shows on what the government is doing to undermine private property rights and to take them from you and convert it to their own use or redistribute it in payment for votes from their quote-unquote, victim constituent classes. Article the Eighth, the Sixth Amendment. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. Article the ninth. In suits at common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall otherwise be reexamined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of common law. Article the tenth. Now the eighth. Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Article the 11th, now the 9th Amendment. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And the 10th Amendment, the one that has to do with state rights. At that time, the Article the 12th. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So there you have it. 
And now the rest of the story. And you may have noticed we kind of skipped over a founder's quote at the beginning of the show. A little bit out of sequence, but not really. Because at the end of this brouhaha, and remembering, listen to my previous two shows on the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, remembering that all this was conducted in secret, absolutely non-transparent, the doors of Independence Hall guarded by armed guards, there was a huge gathering of people almost every day outside of Independence Hall, kind of anxiously awaiting to see what the convention had come up with, either that day or in total. And when all the dust was settled and Benjamin Franklin emerged from Independence Hall, at that time, by the way, in his early 80s, he was like the oldest convention delegate and the most venerable of the statesmen of the United States. He was accosted by an elderly woman and she called out, what have you given us? Have you given us a king? And he replied in his famous quote, No, we have given you a republic if you can keep it. And folks, it is up to us to keep it. There's no one else. We're it. Tag, we're it. The fate of this republic rests on our shoulders. You need to get up. You need to get off the couch. You need to turn off the football game. And you need to get involved. Remember the words in the Declaration of Independence. It is not only your right, but your duty to throw off a tyrannical government. Remember the edicts in the Constitution, and particularly after today's show, remember the rights that are preserved in the Bill of Rights, now that you know the tempest which accompanied their formulation. There is no such statement of rights as a founding document in any other country on the planet. May I suggest you summon that same American DNA which led to the formation of these documents by the men who cast off a king who defeated the greatest army in the world, and that you get involved without delay, because folks, time is not our ally. Let's talk a little bit about forecasts, since some of you wanted some more. The one thing I can absolutely assure you is that this will be a year of surprises. I've gone over some of the ways it can go this way, that way, hither, hither, and yon. But the one thing I can absolutely assure you of is your government will continue to lie to you. It will lie to you more than it has in the past. It will lie to you about more things, if possible, than it has in the past. And it will become absolutely ruthless in its attempt to mask not only the truth, but the fact that it is lying. Think about that. Let me give you an example, just a few quick ones. First of all, you hear all this tripe from the government about this strong employment picture and all this nonsense. I mean, we've been over this in the past you listeners and me, but let me bore right in on the report just a few days ago. You have supposedly this employment picture, which was way better than anticipated, you know, but hidden and kind of, should we say, released at the same time so as to be purposely overshadowed are reports from government statistics, by the way, from the government's own websites and compiled nicely by Yahoo Finance and others that the government overstated new jobs by approximately 40,000 plus per month each month of 2023. Folks, that's somewhere between 439,000 and 490,000 jobs overstated by the government stats, which suddenly in December, they corrected by just erasing all their entries from the previous months and not saying a word about it. And other than just a few folks in the press, nobody picked it up. The other thing that that masks is that the jobs that are being created are to a large percentage government jobs, folks. If you take the average 40,000 overstatement jobs, you take the 213,000 jobs they say were created in December, that brings you down, I'm going to round numbers, to about 170,000 jobs. 
And guess what? The government added 52,000 jobs in December. That is roughly one-third of all new jobs, and they've been doing it all year long. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal, and obviously I've done a pile of research on this little series of personal financial preparedness I'm bringing you. And in doing so, I looked at a bunch of precious metal dealers. There's a bunch of them out there. Some are very good, but I think one of the very best, BBB, A-plus rated, five-star rated, is Harvard Gold Group. They have a terrific private direct delivery program, your house, your business, your investment accounts. They can help you set up your investment accounts to hold these metals. I negotiated, by the way, a $250 discount on your first order through them, which I think is kind of cool. And they have a lowest price guarantee, whether it's gold or silver, and they will be happy to talk to you about that and how it works. So call them, 844-977-GOLD, or go to their website, harvardgoldgroup.com, and use the code READ, READ, that's me, to get your $250 discount and some other goodies. Hey listeners, this is Reed Lance Rosenthal, your host of On the Right Side Radio, and I have a message for you. Do you want a business? Sell a product? Provide a service? Have a message you want to get out? Do you believe in freedom, the Constitution, and America? Here's your opportunity to reach 69 million sets of ears in scores of markets around the country, including five of the top 10 and 15 of the top 50 markets in the United States of America. Very affordable, very flexible, 30 and 60 second packages available. Give your business a boost and help America get the truth. Call Francis at Media Airtime at 602-300-8250, 602-300-8250, or write Francis at MediaAirtime.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S at MediaAirtime.com. Thank you. So they're using your tax money to hyperinflate job numbers to lull you, the taxpayer paying for it, into a false sense of security and make invalid and unwise financial decisions based on their purposely skewed false data. You know where I come from, that's called fraud. Another thing, they're playing games with the housing markets, and by the way, so are others. They're telling you that the price of housing went up over the course of the year in virtually all markets. You know what they're not taking into account, folks? Number one, that when they talk about price of housing, they're talking median price. That is the middle of the lowest and highest or average price, which is an average of all the prices for sold homes in a particular market area or region. Guess what? Folks don't have money to buy. Houses are not affordable. Therefore, there are far more as a percentage higher end homes selling right now because those people are running out of money more slowly than the rest of us and that skews all the figures upwards in addition because there are less homes selling those homes at the top end of the market million dollars a million and a half whatever they are they have a disproportionate effect on the statistics the government knows this the reporting agencies know this the home builders association knows this this is all big psyops let me give you an example just one county baltimore county in maryland did you know that in the 10 days before christmas i mean this is just a couple weeks ago 30 percent of inventory or should i say inventory increased by 30 percent now look 
We all know that you normally don't put houses on the market, you know, in the winter, certainly right before the holidays, so the listing's going to go over the holidays. I mean, this is just basic real estate stuff. So why did why this sudden jump? Well, it coincided with this little false dip in the interest rates that you probably heard about it that were trumpeted. I mean, nobody's trumpeting the fact they went back up, but they trumpeted that they went down. So all these people who really need to sell but have been holding their houses off the market, kind of the shadow inventory we've been talking about, they rushed out to list their houses. And I'm just taking one county. The numbers are slightly higher or slightly lower in other counties, but this was a prevalent trend throughout the United States. One more thing I'll bring to your attention. You've heard about how we're bringing back all the manufacturing, you know, because we're divorcing ourselves from China, other than the paycheck that Joe Biden and his son and his family get every month, I guess, from Xi, somehow, someway. Well, guess what? In December, it was the 14th month that all the major indicators for manufacturing contracted. 14th straight month. And you think we're going to have a soft landing, according to what all these morons are telling you? Or should we say intentional morons are telling you? You think we're not going to have a recession? You think housing prices are going to continue to go up? Step outside the box and think about what they're trying to accomplish in this election year. So I guess if you sum up my forecasts for 2024, it will be a year of opportunity. If we step up, if we get off the couch, if we get involved, it will be a year of pivotal change either for good or for bad. It will be a year of economic surprise, inflation, deflation, higher interest rates, lower interest rates. Remember, higher interest rates have to come if they're going to sell this enormous amount of debt. If they don't sell the debt with higher interest rates after this dip that we're going to go through, they have to increase the amount of money in the system. That's liquidity, which increases inflation. It's really a dead-end street with no outlet. Be cognizant of what's happening domestically and internationally in terms of potential black swans. And get yourself prepared, not just physically, right? Your needs, food, fuel, shelter, water, defense, but your financial preparedness. The series I've been bringing you for the last three, four weeks. Think about all the weaknesses in your personal financial picture. Fix them or do the best you can to fix them the best you can in the time that you have. Think about the preservation of capital. Yeah, it's nice to make a profit. I mean, that's great. But right now, with the uncertainty that we're facing on all these different fronts, the one thing you absolutely want to do is preserve the capital you have. Let me pose you a question. If somebody came up to you and said, you have this opportunity, you have a 90 to 100% chance of keeping the 50 cents in your pocket or in your left hand you had a 50-50 chance of doubling your money making 100% or losing all of it which would you choose that's kind of where you need to think right now personally i would take the i'll take the 90 to 100% chance of keeping the 50 cents that's jingling around in my pocket and there's a bunch of ways to do this we're exploring them now in our little financial preparedness series we've been over cryptos we've been over precious metals. We've been over real estate, both land and residential. And we have some other alternative investments we're going to be discussing in the coming weeks. This is not me recommending anything. This is me throwing out ideas for you to research, make decisions on, and act. In the end, you can control your world and to some extent the world beyond your world, right? Your involvement in elections, your fight against election fraud, your support of candidates who believe in the Constitution and American values, your communications with your representatives. You're involving other people in this fight to save America. But to a certain extent, some of these things are outside our control. 
the black swan events, whatever they may be that are sure, in my opinion, to be coming our way over the course of this year. But the more prepared you are to act, to decide, to maintain and preserve your financial condition, and to have the plans and materials in place to keep yourself physically safe and healthy, the better off you, your family, and your country will be. So here's to 2024. We don't know what it's going to be, but we know it's sure as hell going to be. Bring it on. Okay, folks, let's do rat-a-tat-tat. So as you know, the U.S. government is a little teed off at Elon Musk. Number one, because he released all the Twitter files and exposed the corruption and collusion between social media and all the long-denied, the FBI, the CIA, you name it. And they're also a little teed off at old Elon because he speaks his mind. He's not afraid to tell anybody to go F you. And the powers that be really don't like people saying no or I will not comply or something stronger. But, you know, they're inextricably tied to him because of Starlink. It's like a key to military operations and all the fun stuff that the deep state has going on all over the globe. So instead, they talk to their globalist buddies over at the EU. And the EU Digital Services, the DSA, who's known to punish large online platforms for hosting content that includes, quote, disinformation, with penalties that go up to 6% of their annual revenue. No, this isn't a money grab. Is now looking, gee, what a coincidence, into X's, Twitter's, lack of censorship of, quote, illegal content and, quote, disinformation. In fact, several weeks ago, the head honcho of the DSA, Mr. Censorship himself, said, we will now start an in-depth investigation of excess compliance with the DSA obligations concerning countering the dissemination and amplification of illegal content and disinformation. We open a formal infringement proceeding based on suspected breach of obligations, suspected breach of transparency, suspected deceptive design of user interface, and on and on and on. So, you know, Censorship is alive and well, folks, and I'll remind you again, this is election year. Keep your eyes open and don't take it for a minute. The Attorney General in Tennessee, Jonathan Skirmetti, this is great, he filed a consumer protection lawsuit, oh, about two weeks ago against BlackRock, you know, our friends at BlackRock. I've brought you the history of the robber barons. Listen to that show on therightsideradio.com. BlackRock, as you know, is the world's largest asset manager and a huge proponent. In fact, they've corrupted a whole bunch of companies with 7% ownerships of stock. I've gone over all this with you so that they get a seat on the board. Environmental, social, and corporate governance. You know, the ESG stuff and the DEI stuff. Anyway, this lawsuit against BlackRock claims that BlackRock has misled, in other words, frauded, lied to, Tennessee and consumers about the scale and the impacts of its ESG initiative for several years. In other words, it's detrimentally affecting their stock prices. And it also accuses BlackRock of, should we say, lying in their corporate statements that supposedly it allocates capital where its clients request as a fiduciary for those clients. This is going to be very interesting. I love it. And a great court ruling. Finally, you know, Texas down there, I mean, they've put up barriers in the Rio Grande, razor wire along the border. They have the National Guard out. In March, they can start arresting illegal aliens. The state can, and they plan to. And the federal government just sent, you know, border patrol agents out to wreak havoc with the Texas border wall improvements, cutting the razor wire, trying to take out the stuff in the Rio Grande, the buoys. And, of course, Texas, Ken Paxton, go Ken, go Governor Abbott. They sued the federal government. 
They lost at the district court, although the district court really reprimanded the federal government over its policies, but said it didn't have the authority to grant Texas the permission to stop the federal government. Well, that went to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and guess what? They have enjoined the United States from screwing with Texas's border wall. I think it's terrific. It's obviously going to wind up at the Supreme Court, but it's a big win. Now, if Katie Hobbs hadn't fraudulently won the election down in Arizona, we'd have the same thing going there. California, as you know, is a lost cause. And then, in really great news, 200 active duty and retired servicemen sent a letter to the Joint Chiefs and to Biden, (laughs) Obama third term, saying that, They would do everything they could to hold Biden officials and military command accountable for firing soldiers in all four services over the illegal, remember it was ruled illegal after it was enforced, COVID jab mandates that the military put out at Obama, I mean Biden's (laughs) command. And they sent a letter, an open letter, by the way, it's open to the public, to the Joint Chiefs and accused the military, quite rightfully, of trampling on the rights of members who refuse to be vaccinated on religious or any grounds. If you remember, I brought you a story two weeks ago that now the military is trying to tell people that they fired for not taking the jab, that they want them back. You know, because somehow they can't seem to recruit new soldiers. I wonder why that is. On New Year's Day, I love it, senior military officials, a whole pile of them, received an email called Declaration of Military Accountability. And basically, the letter says that these servicemen, along with others, are going to do everything, quote, lawfully within our power to stop the willful destruction of our military by its own leadership. Gee, where have you heard that before? Oh, yeah, that's right, On the Right Side Radio. You betcha. Quote, while implementing the COVID-19 vaccine mandate, leaders broke the law, trampled constitutional rights. Dismissed consent, permitted unwilling medical experimentation, committed fraud, and suppressed the free exercise of religion. Service members and their families were, quote, significantly harmed by the government's actions, and their suffering continues financially, emotionally, and physically. Some service members became part of the ever-growing homeless population. Some developed debilitating vaccine adverse events, and some even lost their lives, unquote. Remember what I've been telling you, folks. If you have a claim, you bring it. Never mind what it could do for you personally. Think about what it will do for your country. Until these people are held accountable, they're going to continue to do the same nasty stuff. Go military members, go. So you probably don't know, but on January 1, five more members were admitted into BRICS, including Saudi Arabia. Oh, well, that should be great for the petrodollar. Egypt, oh, that should help. They're over there uh, in Hamas and West Bank and Lebanon land. United Arab Emirates. Gee, another big oil producer. Iran. Oh, well, no wonder they're sending destroyers into the Red Sea. And Ethiopia. Argentina was going to join, but fortunately they elected that guy down there. I, In fact, his interview with Tucker Carlson is on the website, I believe, last week. He's terrific. Absolutely terrific. And he's going into the American camp rather than the BRICS camp. <laughs> Maybe that's why the CIA let him win the election. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm just joking, of course. And this is a clear acceleration of the BRICS progress in their goal to replace the U.S. dollar as the prima world currency, the reserve currency for international trade all across the planet. BRICS was formed, remember, brought to the history of BRICS on the rightsideradio.com in the archives. Fascinating story. But it was formed in 2006, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, which is an economic basket case right now. But this doubles 
the BRICS members, and there's a whole bunch of countries that want to get in with them. But just those 10 countries now hold a combined population of 3.5 billion people and a combined economy worth over $28.5 trillion, which, by the way, is a third of the entire global economy. You think they're serious? You bet they are. Remember, financial preparedness. We're out of time. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror. Repeat after me and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, go to ontherightsideradio.com. Click on Show Archives and you'll find all of Reed's shows and a terrific array of informative articles, videos, and reference pages. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of On the Right Side Radio with Reed Lance Rosenthal.